This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford and I started Self Work Now about almost seven years ago to try to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychology or emotional functioning, maybe you're already in therapy, to those of you who might be looking for answers, perhaps you've just recently been diagnosed or you're dealing with something that you just don't understand, but also to a third group of you, those that are pretty skeptical about the whole mental health community and certainly going to a therapist. So I wanted to give you a chance to hear what a therapist might think like or might be like. And hopefully, you'll give us a chance. I want to tell you, those of you who might be therapists and looking for continuing education, C-E-U-Y-O-U, exclamation point, is a group that I do trainings for, and I'm going to give a training on the hidden risk of suicide. Actually, that's perfectly hidden depression on June the 27th from Central Time, 9 to noon. I'm going to have a link to sign up for that. So if you're interested and want to get that training, I just wanted you to know that there will be a link in the show notes for that continuing ed training. Of course, those of you who just want to learn about it, you could also come too, but it is paid, so you might want to Just listen to what I have to say for free. There are a lot of mental illnesses that are characterized by intense emotion, which then governs behavior. But this behavior of this lack of self-control doesn't have to be seen as mental illness, although it may be a part of one. If it's a pattern, then the least it's telling you is that you don't have the skill to regulate your emotions, to have control over them instead of them over you. You get angry at a friend and you text them impulsively about your feelings instead of taking a minute to cool down. You get dumped by somebody you're dating and you immediately head to the nearest bar or pub and work on getting picked up. Those are good examples of your emotions governing you. But it could be that emotional regulation was never modeled for you. So you didn't see a parent doing it and could copy it or absorb it. So it's something you've never learned. But guess what? You can. That's what we're going to focus on today. How do you learn more self-control emotionally or how to what's called self-regulate these emotions? And we'll also look at when intense control over emotions is highly self-protective, or at least it might have been during your childhood and you're following that same pattern. The listener email follows this subject line as well, but is more about the listener's recognition and identification with perfectly hidden depression. But they put a different spin on it and are asking how I might suggest they explain perfectly hidden depression to a new therapist. Our sponsors make self-work possible and your support of them supports us. Today, we want to hear once again from Bioptimizers who make Magnesium Breakthrough, a product that has many, many benefits. And this month, they have a special gift for self-work listeners. If you use the code SELFWORK10, let's listen. Hey guys, I want to share with you that recently I've been working on some very important projects that have very short deadlines as always, right? Seems everything today is ASAP. Anyway, I have not been able to keep up with all of my self-care routine. 
I certainly haven't had breaks to have proper meals, and I'm drinking way too much iced tea. I was starting to get really stressed out when I remembered that the magnesium breakthrough I take every night is also a great support for stress management. I'd kind of forgotten that. In fact, magnesium is responsible for over 300 body reactions, and Magnesium Breakthrough is the only magnesium formula that delivers all seven different forms of magnesium. I didn't know there were seven forms, one of them being feeling more calm, centered, and in control of our stress. If you're trying to balance life demands, give it a try. Trust me, your mind and your body will thank you for it. What you can do is visit magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork and order now. Oh, in addition to the discount you get by using promo code selfwork10, so that's different, selfwork10, they're also amazing gifts with purchase. That's why I love shopping at Buy Optimizers. Again, go to magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. When you've been a therapist as long as I have been, there aren't a lot of emotional outbursts or their counterpart emotional shutdowns that I haven't witnessed or been told about. For example, people who burst into tears if they can't perform their compulsive rituals due to the tsunami of anxiety that hits them. Others may look at me flatly and say, I don't feel anything. And I can tell from the dullness in their eyes that they mean it and that there's a yawning emptiness where feelings typically live. Or those that become angry or feel insulted at the suggestion of them being in the wrong about something, whether it's narcissism or even sociopathy. It can be a little scary. All of these three examples reflect that anxiety, depression, or characterological problems may override whatever emotional regulation this person has learned. It simply doesn't exist for them, at least not in this moment. So what is emotional regulation? Here's a working definition supplied by Psychology Today, and I'll have that link for you in the show notes. Here's the definition. Emotion regulation or emotional regulation is the ability to exert control over one's own emotional state. It may involve behaviors such as rethinking a challenging situation to reduce anger or anxiety, hiding visible signs of sadness or fear, or focusing on reasons to feel happy or calm. Basically, emotional regulation is the ability to calm yourself down. It also can sometimes mean somewhat contradictorily that you want to uplift yourself. Part of emotional regulation is allowing joy, allowing pride, that kind of thing. Some people have that problem. Today, we're going to be talking more about calming yourself, though. Not many of us likely see this as children because our parents didn't have the capability either. If you did see that from your parents, good for you. You're lucky. And by modeling that for you, maybe you absorb that behavior and that skill. For example, if you heard one parent say to the other during a disagreement, let's say about money, quote, I'm too mad right now to talk about this, but I know it's important. Give me an hour to cool down and get myself in a better headspace, and we can try this conversation again. This is a perfect example of recognizing that something is causing you to overreact. So you challenge your own response. You tell yourself things like, I want to be able to talk about our finances. My own parents never did. 
reminding yourself of the value of what you want rather than focusing on whatever your partner said that pissed you off. That's emotional regulation and emotional self-control. Self-control can also be about behaviors, obviously. It's the opposite of impulsivity, which could lead us into a whole other conversation. But right now, we'll stick with emotional regulation and self-control. Here's a quote again from Psychology Today. Two broad categories of emotional regulation are reappraisal, changing how one thinks about something that prompted an emotion in order to change one's response. Oh, that's so jargonistic. I hate that. (laughs) Why do we psychologists have to sound so psychological all the time? Basically, one category of emotional regulation is what's called reappraisal. Okay. And then the second one is suppression, they say, which has been linked to more negative outcomes. Other strategies include selecting or changing a situation to influence one's emotional experience, shifting what one pays attention to, and trying to accept emotions. Uh, That sounds so complicated, and it's not. (laughs) So let's talk about them both, as well as these other strategies they mention. What is reappraisal? In the psychology business, this is called a reframe. It's like putting another frame around a picture, and suddenly that picture you see differently. I read one of these the other day that I loved, a reframe. So many people hate to ask for help, but this author stated, asking for help is not allowing yourself to give up. Let me say that again. Asking for help is not allowing yourself to give up. All of a sudden, this reframe of the choice to ask for help becomes a sign of your determination to keep trying and even to succeed, whereas asking for help is weak, which labels it a crutch or something that strong people would never do. Instead, it turns it around and says, wait, asking for help is a proactive choice to find a way to keep going. Obviously, and hopefully, you can hear the difference. And a reframe can be very, very helpful. It helps you to see it differently. I have one that I tell parents all the time that I learned from Barry Brazelton. I read one book on child rearing before I started parenting. And I didn't have much time. Or that was my excuse. But he said, when you're having a disagreement with your child or they're not doing what you tell them to do or you're wanting them to do, stop for a second and think, wait a minute. What are they trying to learn? And if you can help them learn what they're trying to learn, then perhaps they'll be more open to you teaching them what you want them to learn. I think it's a great kind of reframe in parenting. Hopefully that'll help you. So, for example, a reframe could be if you say, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. You could say instead, this is a bad thing that has happened. It is unwelcome and unexpected, but it's probably not the worst thing that could happen. I still have my mind. I still have my energy. But yes, this is hard. And I've got to find my courage. Something like that. You can hear the reframe as not catastrophizing what has happened, but as seeing it as, okay, I don't like this. I didn't want it to happen. It's very unwelcome, maybe even scary. So what do I do about it? Y'all know that I love what to do about it questions. So let's move on to the second category. What is suppression? It's an intentional strategy to tamp down whatever you're feeling. If you know my work in perfectly hidden depression, 
That kind of tamping down or that strategy is often needed as protection from traumatic or painful childhood experiences where showing your actual emotions would put you in harm's way. So you build an armor, you build a mask and you suppress them. You compartmentalize them, meaning you move them away from your consciousness and store them in a safe emotion closet. Obviously not a real place, but a corner of your mind that has that capability. What is healthy to do is to then get those emotions out when it's safe and work through them. Sadly, often that doesn't happen because there's very little real safety for those emotions to come out where you live, even in private. And so those emotions get left there and they pile up and pile up and pile up. Now, there are more normal times when suppression is called for and it's healthy and it's protective. If my alcoholic partner, for example, is railing at me, it would do no good to fight with them when they're drunk. So letting it go for now, again, making sure you're safe, and waiting to talk to them when they sober up is when suppression is more than handy. You're just putting something aside and focusing on something else. The other three methods that the last sentence of that Psych Today article says, I'll read it to you again, other strategies include selecting or changing a situation to influence one's emotional experience, shifting what one pays attention to, and trying to accept emotions. What this means is that you do something, like you figure out the trigger. If you have to get to work when parents are taking their kids to school and the traffic makes you mad and frustrates you and makes you late, either go another way or leave earlier. Your trigger is feeling helpless or trapped. So, avoid the trigger. It's not quite a reframe because it's not the same picture. You're actually choosing to change the picture, to change your behavior so that you don't get triggered. You can also change your focus. Let's say your trigger is fear of failure or of being disappointing. But, you always try a brand new recipe when people come over for dinner. So how would you change that? If your trigger is fear of failure or being disappointing, either cook that recipe a few times beforehand or change your focus, meaning that you don't have to prove to yourself that you can handle or fix that recipe, but focus on feeling calm when people come over so you can also enjoy dinner. I mean, if all you can do is a jello mold salad, then do a jello mold salad. It depends on what you want from the experience. You change your focus. Is it enjoying your company or do you really want to grow and show off a little bit as a chef? That's changing your focus. The last thing, accepting your emotions is interesting. This one was really hard for me for years because accepting that I had anxiety, for example, felt like I was giving up, but... Lo and behold, when I began accepting that certain situations were likely to cause me anxiety, I began to accept that and come up with ways to lean into the anxiety instead of hating it. Here's another example. How many times have I heard people say, but I shouldn't feel hurt or sad or fearful. I don't want to feel that. I don't even like the way those feelings feel. Well, likely the more you hate them, the more they'll stick around and you won't learn how to cope with them. Now, that's not to say that if a certain painful emotion is triggered, that you should always go with it. Some triggers can become habitual and they never lose their ability to turn you into an emotional wreck. 
In my Facebook group, I've noticed several posts from members who have PTSD or CPTSD, complicated or chronic PTSD, and it comes from sexual abuse. Those posts were talking about when their partner sneaks up on them and surprises them. Again, usually it's done as a joke, but their reaction is very painful. It throws them into a fight or flight or freeze mode, recreating the fears that they felt initially with the abuse. It's sort of like an emotional flashback, a re-victimization. Now, can you stop the fact that sometimes others will surprise you? No. Can you talk to your partner and ask them not to do that? Yes. But realizing that your next step is to work on somehow separating your partner's playfulness from your abuse and working on how to stay in the moment and not get pulled back into the past. Now, this isn't easy at all, but empowering yourself is important. For example, taking a self-defense class is great. Building your sense of self-control in the present So in this case, you want to accept that your hyperarousal or hypervigilance exists, but then take measures to empower yourself. Emotional self-regulation involves self-control, and sometimes its origins are definitely in self-protection. But overall, you don't want to live a life where your emotions govern you, but you govern your emotions. I mentioned at the beginning that there are some mental illnesses where there is very little capability to use emotional regulation. Bipolar disorder, borderline or histrionic personality disorder, or even narcissism, major depression, severe anxiety. But again, emotional regulation can be learned with enough determination. So an answer here is to realize and be conscious of the fact that you have these mental or emotional impulses. But you can also begin to realize when fear or anger or sadness has overtaken you, where the impulse is becoming too strong for you to deal with because you are afraid or mad or sad. You can begin to see that you make unhealthy or unhelpful decisions when you have these feelings. And you can bring your mind into it. You can rethink this. You can re-strategize. Become more aware of where you are in your illness and when you can see it more clearly. Like... Wait, why am I predicting that I will utterly fail and be ridiculed by others when I haven't even tried? That's not rational. That might be something that you hear with major depression, for example, or anxiety. You can begin to see how your mind isn't helping you. If I see one factor where certain medications like antidepressants do seem to help, it's here. Not all the time. But often, a medication will help to clear and clarify your thinking. It won't solve your problem and certainly not your mental illness. That's your job. But it'll give you much greater mental energy. Then you can use that energy to make changes in your life. And you can get off of them. Or you can stay on if you and your prescriber feel that is best. You can learn to regulate your feelings and use them for what they're really good for. Becoming aware and expressing emotions can help you feel connected to others, can guide you as to the decisions or actions that will be most helpful to you, and can offer a deeper and more enriching human experience if you stay in charge. So today we have a listener email that I'll read to you. I'm a 50-year-old American expat permanently residing in Ireland. I've just started therapy with a young therapist 
with whom I have eight sessions. I was referred to him by my personal physician, who noticed I was at the end of my rope with a disabling medical condition. I have, quote-unquote, graduated from therapy several times in the United States, and I'm always described as the nice person who always takes people's feelings seriously. I'm accustomed to managing my thoughts in objectivity, so if people are noticing my control is slipping, I must truly be in a bad way. About an hour ago, I googled the phrase, I'm outstanding at hiding my anger, and your image of the 10 characteristics of perfectly hidden depression was literally the first result. I read it and said to myself, Dr. Margaret has read my mind. Anyone who reads this list hardly needs to know anything else about me. And my, quote-unquote, three-year-old inner child, with whom I have done a little work in therapy, volunteered, yeah, we've always felt like that. And it's true. I started to cry. My cat came up to me and put his ears back a little and meowed once and pawed my knee, which is cat for, what's wrong? Please stop expressing that something's wrong. (laughs) So I stopped crying and told him I was sorry, as you do when you're used to brushing yourself under the rug and just felt empty for a moment. So anyway, I decided that I should tell my therapist about this at my next session next Wednesday. But he is inexperienced, though rather smart, and mostly deals with Irish country people who are naive about their own feelings, let alone therapy techniques. I don't want to go through weeks of, have you considered taking time to relax, or have you tried mindfulness? I guess my question boils down to, in a few words, how can I place my therapist in a position to consider perfectly hidden depression as a thing that explains a lot about me? How would you want to have a client approach you with this? Thank you very much for your caring support. First, as a general comment, if you've had a fair amount of therapy through the years, then giving a new therapist a quick synopsis of what you figured out back then and how that therapy was helpful to you at that time. No more than 15 minutes. I mean a quick synopsis. Then let them know what brought you in now, and that could be similar to your other work or quite different. It does sound as if your discovery of how much you control your anger and how strongly you identified with perfectly hidden depression that that's a tack or a direction you want to go in because if you're used to brushing things under the rug and you have that terribly empty feeling inside, that's loneliness and that's important to listen to because perhaps there's a part of you now that has decided you need and want to change. You've reached out to me after all. So much therapy these days is highly collaborative rather than the older psychoanalytic model of a largely unseen therapist listening as the client lies on the couch and free associates, meaning they say anything that's on their mind. Now, let me be quick to say that psychoanalytic therapy is not what it was years ago. Frankly, I don't know a lot about it, but even Freud's granddaughter refuted some of his basic ideas, especially about sexuality, but I digress. Back to the listener's email. So you can say to this therapist, this is what I want to work on now. Now, the therapist is likely not to have heard of Perfectly Hidden Depression, and so you can offer my podcast or blog post for them to experience and tell you what they think about it. But the traits of the syndrome aren't wild at all and should be readily recognizable to experienced therapists. If he's young or new, his job is still to help you get where you'd like to go. Maybe that becomes how to process that anger differently, or to learn more about your anger. Where does it come from? What are childhood experiences that might have influenced that hiding? Perfectly Hidden Depression, by the end of this year, will have been translated from English into seven different languages, so it's hitting a chord worldwide. 
If you can see that many Irish people themselves may have adopted this kind of protective shield, maybe you can be a part of spreading the message, which of course would mean so much. Thank you so much for writing in, and good luck to you. I really think emotional regulation is something we could spend a whole series on, but I hope this has given you a general overview of emotional regulation. It's a very important eco-skill. Thank you so much for being here. Again, my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is available in English anywhere you look for books, but it's also can be found in Czech, Dutch, German, coming up in June, Korean, Polish, and Turkish. And it's coming to Italy in the winter of this year, which, of course, I'm so honored by. And I want to remind you, it has 60 exercises in the book to help you work through some of this hiding behavior and become more self-compassionate and self-aware and self-accepting. I also will let you all know when the link to my TEDx talk in Boca Raton becomes available. It will probably be another three or four weeks. Several of you have written in to me about that. You can also subscribe to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com, and we've done a, I think, beautiful revamp of the website. So go take a look, and you can subscribe there, and then you'll get a weekly newsletter with the different trainings I'm doing or the weekly blog post or podcast. So thank you for being here. Please take very good care of yourself, your loved ones, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.